deserted lies the city, once so full of people. How like a widow is she, who was once great among the nations? She who was queen among the provinces has now become a slave. Bitterly she weeps at night, tears are on her cheeks. Among all her lovers there's no one to comfort her. All her friends have betrayed her. They become her enemies. After affliction and harsh labor, Judah has gone into exile. She dwells among the nations. She finds no resting place. All who pursue her have overtaken her in the midst of her distress. This is why I weep, and my eyes overflow with tears. No one is near to comfort me. No one to restore my spirit. My children are destitute because the enemy has prevailed. See, Lord, how distressed I am. I am in torment within, and in my heart I am disturbed, for I have been most rebellious. Outside, the sword bereaves. Inside, there is only death. All my enemies have heard of my distress. They rejoice at what you have done. May you bring the day you have announced so that they may become like me. Let all their wickedness come before you. Deal with them as you have dealt with me because of all my sins. My groans are many and my heart is faint. My eyes fail from weeping. I'm in torment within. My heart is poured out on the ground because my people are destroyed, because children and infants faint in the streets of the city. They say to their mothers, Where is bread and wine? As they faint, like the wounded in the streets of the city, as their lives ebb away in their mother's arms. What can I say for you? With what can I compare you, daughter Jerusalem? To what can I liken you, that I can comfort you, virgin daughter Zion? Your wound is as deep as the sea. Who can heal you? visions of your prophets were false and worthless. They didn't expose your sin to ward off your captivity. The prophecies they gave you were false and misleading. In his new book, Matthew Perry uh, writes about how in the TV show Friends, uh, his character Chandler uh, was really a, a version of himself. But you don't expect him to say this. There is a hell. Don't let anyone tell you different. I've been there. It exists. End of discussion. Could he be any more intense? The physical, uh, eternal uh, existence of hell is something that the Bible is clear about. And that's a a topic for another time. But the Bible is also clear about uh, the reality of of so-called going through hell today. And that's uh, what the book of Lamentations is all about. And we're starting a new three-week series in the book of Lamentations uh, tonight. And before you you switch off uh, here in the room, or if you're uh, listening online, before you uh, switch off, I get it. You know, when I, when I uh, get home from work, uh, I just want to watch something like Friends, or basically uh, anything Richard Curtis has written. You know, give me Meg Ryan, Tom Hanks, Hugh Grant, Julia Roberts, and uh, basically anything from the 90s uh, would be fine by me. 
before I, I got married and, and we had our, our sort of own joint Netflix account, I had my own Netflix account. And um, according to the algorithms, the category that it, it brought up, it suggested for me, was romantic comedy with a strong female lead. I want uh, to switch off from the world. And uh, you, you, you might be thinking here tonight, oh, Jamie, Lamentations is really not where I'm at uh, at the moment. Um, but, but Lamentations is not just to, to sort of file away for when suffering strikes. It's also really important for you and me today. If we're missing uh, the book of Lamentations from our diet, and we're missing out on, on really, really key uh, ingredients and key nutrients. And then uh, there's those of you here tonight who are going through uh, the most unimaginable suffering and pain. And then the last thing I want to do is to, is to rub salt into the wound. And tonight what you need to, to hear is that God is longing to heal you. He's longing to comfort you and that you've done absolutely nothing to deserve your pain, that God is not punishing you. I, I don't wanna say anything tonight that's clumsy, I don't wanna offer platitudes, but Lamentations doesn't do that. Yes, it gives us a, a literacy, if you like, uh, for suffering, uh, but you can't be taught suffering in a textbook. And so what we have here is a record. It's a record of a very specific time in a very specific situation. A record where we see unimaginable evil and unimaginable suffering. We heard it before in chapter two, verse 11. The narrator says, my, my eyes fail from weeping. I'm in torment within. My heart is poured out on the ground because my people are destroyed because children and infants faint in the streets of the city. He's, he's retching, he's vomiting at what he sees. It's impossible for him to remain unaffected. And this, this book sort of shakes up our understanding of what it is to follow Jesus. I mean, isn't there something, something wholly unattractive about wallowing in self-pity. You know, I thought we weren't supposed to have any pity parties. And yet here, right in the middle of the Bible, is a book called Lamentations. I think about a, a time in my life uh, when I was despairing. And the soundtrack uh, to my life at that time was the song Bridge Over Troubled Water by Simon and Garfunkel. And yes, you're getting the picture. I probably should have been born in a different era. But it goes this. Uh, when you're down and out, when you're on the street, when evening falls so hard, when darkness comes and pain is all around. Such an amazing line that, when pain is all around. And that's exactly what the book of Lamentations uh, describes. But there is no Art Garfunkel singing, I will comfort you. There are no words, there's nothing from God. Five times in the opening chapter, we're told that there is no one to comfort. No words of reassurance, no redeeming features. And so we're gonna have to journey through 
the pain. And so let me, let me set the context. Uh, it, it's, it's impossible to overstate just how much pain, how much darkness uh, was all around. You know, Jerusalem was decimated. If you were here uh, last year, at the beginning of last year, and we had the, the Daniel series, and if you remember uh, King Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon, he, he takes Jerusalem in around about 587 BC. And you can read about that in Jeremiah 52, you can read about that in, in 2 Kings 25. What we see is, is this sort of siege warfare. You know, quite similar to the characteristics of that sort of siege warfare, what we see is that invasion of, of Ukraine. And what we see is, is 18 months of, of the ending of food supplies, of starvation, of death, of disease, of rape. We even see mothers eating their own children. And we see the king, he is blinded and his sons are killed in front of him before uh, he is taken off. And almost everyone is, is either killed or they're taken away. The, the temple is desecrated and it's destroyed. It's political, national, religious, physical, spiritual, emotional trauma like nothing else we see in the entirety of the Bible. And so that's the context. But then uh, there's the way that this book is written to its, its style as well. Um, and today we're just looking at chapters one and two. Uh, but uh, actually chapters one through to four are written as an acrostic, where each line begins with a different letter in the Hebrew alphabet. And why is that? Well, well I have a tendency, uh, if I'm grieving, to sort of wallow in grief. But actually, what Lamentations teaches us is, is, is to journey through the pain, how to journey through the pain. It's like all of the pain, the, the A to Z of pain uh, that we see here, with each line beginning with a different letter. So we get a whole encyclopedia of pain. What we see there too is, is, is somehow uh, the writer of Lamentations trying to bring order to the chaos that we see in the book. And uh, th this, this isn't academic, though. I don't want you to go away thinking this is a literature exercise. This, this shows us that, that lamenting is biblical, that lamenting is a form of protest, uh, that lamenting is a way to process emotion, and it's also a place to voice confusion. And so when we're suffering ourselves, when we're weeping with those who are weeping, when we're thinking about places like Syria and Turkey right now and the Ukraine, we can see that all these things are important. And I've, I've, uh, I can think in particular about two different occasions where I've been in worship settings, uh, where we've been about to worship, <coughs> excuse me, and I've just been told um, that someone has lost uh, either a baby or a toddler. And uh, I've found myself unable to worship God. You know, I, I've, I've not doubted that God is real. I've not doubted that he exists. But it just seems so unfair. And all you want to do is cry. And all I could do is cry, to be honest. And all you want to do is cry and just to, to wrap your arms around the people that are suffering. And the Bible tells us that this is okay. That, that Lamentations gives a sacred dignity to our suffering. 
So we've had the, the context, we've had the, the style of writing. Now the, the characters. Who are the characters? We see there firstly the poet is probably Jeremiah. And like I was saying before, you know, he, he's, he's unable to remain unaffected by what he sees. He's like a, a reporter in a war zone and there's just too much going on. And then we see uh, who we call Lady Zion, a Lady Zion. And she is a Jerusalem personified, God's people personified. And she keeps saying over and over and over, look, 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 look at my suffering. Don't change the channel. Don't switch off. And there's something so visceral about this lady suffering. And she's really suffering. The theologian Kathleen O'Connor uh, writes that it is suffering that knows no bounds beyond comparison with other suffering. Suffering that defies containment, that blasts away at the imagination, that has no words to express its depth and totality. This suffering is total. The word all, all, is uh, used 16 times in chapter one alone. All, 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 all. You know, everything is total. Everything is ultimate and complete. And uh, O'Connor says that there are no words. And we see Lady Zion, she, she groans her words. We see the word groaning that comes up all over the time. And you think about the, the poetic style as well. It's like a, a funeral dirge. She doesn't, she doesn't speak her words. She groans her words. O'Connor says, from in, her position inside the pain, no one has suffered as much as she because there is no way she could imagine more suffering. So uh, there's the poet, there's a lady Zion, and then there's God. And he seems to be silent. God on mute. And that might be difficult enough to get our heads and our hearts around. But there also seems to be, there appears to be something here that's even more worrying. You know, is God mad and out of control? Let's just have a look at what God does. You try counting up the word he, but in these chapters, 24 times, we see the word Lord. This is mostly about what God has done to Zion. In chapter two, the real enemy reduced the city to rubble. The real enemy was God. You know, the other enemies are not even mentioned until verse 16. And the first eight verses are just a relentless account, 28 verbs, 28 times, just relentless destruction, destruction, destruction. And each and every one of them with God as the subject. The word he, he, to describe God, is repeated almost every line. And we see in chapter two, verse five, and we see God has multiplied lamentation and mourning like an enemy. God here is the enemy. You know, I thought God was rich in love and slow to anger. And tonight I want to tell you, yes, he is rich in love and slow to anger. But the tough message is that Israel was, was warned countless times through the prophets and yet they've, they've reveled in their rebellion. And God, he, he hates seeing them damaging themselves. And frankly, they've only got themselves to blame. 
You know, the, the prophet Jeremiah had repeatedly warned them about their unrepented sins of, of social oppression, of, of rampant idolatry, of trying to make sort of unsteady, unstable alliances uh, with, with others against Babylon. Well, they wouldn't listen to Jeremiah. And they, they branded Jeremiah a traitor. They tried to, to silence him with violence and with imprisonment. And in the same year, King Jehoiakim deliberately burnt the, the scroll of, of 23 years of Jeremiah's prophecies to Israel. This is just this, this staggering defiance against the word of God. And so they've, they've only got themselves to blame. There's no mistaking it. The, the poet knows, the, the lady knows, and we know this too. We just see so many accounts of this rebellion throughout the Bible. But we also know about our own rebellion too, don't we? We know about our own defying of God's word or, or, or editing it, cutting things out of it, even if we haven't actually burned it ourselves. And so this, this um, destruction, the, the severity of it all in the book of Lamentations shows us just, just how seriously God takes sin. And so we get this broken relationship, a broken relationship. My uh, favorite TV show is Would I Lie to You? And uh, I'm sorry, this is not a moment of light relief. Um, but uh, the presenter, Rob Brydon, he and his first wife, uh, they divorced in 2001. And it left him so traumatized, in his words, uh, that he even, he even left the entire situation out of his autobiography. And uh, although the separation was civil, uh, it left him deeply scarred. And he told the Sunday Times, uh, when I hear of contemporaries getting divorced, I'm brokenhearted. They'll often talk to me at the relief stage, the stage of having decided to separate. And I'll think, you have no idea. You have no idea. I wouldn't wish divorce on anybody. We live in a Christ-haunted world. This great divorce, this divorce, this separation between us, between our culture and God. And we can live in denial, we can go around parting it up in, in, in what we think is freedom. But, but the pain is gonna come out one way or another. And, and we see this divorce take place too in the book of Lamentations between God and his people where, where there was supposed to be this, this covenant, this marriage, this, this special relationship between uh, God and his people. Have a look at chapter one, verse four. The roads to Zion mourn. Zion being the place of God's presence, the, the place that people would go to, to, to worship God. Uh, for no one comes to her appointed festivals. All her gateways are desolate, her priests groan. And then uh, have a look in chapter two, verse one. How the Lord has covered daughter Zion with the cloud of his anger. He has hurled down the splendor of Israel from heaven to earth. He has not remembered his footstool in the day of his anger. 
The language here sort of gets, gets more cosmic. And, and what we see is the temple is, is the microcosm, literally the, the, the microcosm, the, the embodiment of the cosmos, the, the place where heaven meets earth in the temple. We, we go down to verse six, right? Uh, he has laid waste his dwelling like a garden. He has destroyed his place of meeting. This meeting place, this place where, where humanity and God meet, destroyed. The Lord has made Zion forget her appointed festivals and her Sabbaths. In his fierce anger, he has spurned both king and priest. And so there's this judgment on, on um, both the political and the religious hierarchy of the nation. It goes on, the Lord has rejected his altar. You know, his, his altar, the, the, the place where you would sacrifice. So there's not even a possibility of connection with God. The Lord has rejected his altar and abandoned his sanctuary. You know, if, if we're following Jesus Christ, we now are temples of the Holy Spirit. And I wonder if God feels at home, if God feels comfortable living within us. He has given the walls of her palaces into the hands of the enemy. They have raised a shout in the house of the Lord as on the day of an appointed festival. And so not only is this sort of like viciously strong language, but God didn't start this. This, this was not a no-fault divorce. For Israel in reality had cut God off all the way back to the first generation out of Egypt. And so when we, what we read in, in chapter one, verse 14 is this. My sins have been bound into a yoke. By his hands, they were woven together. They have been hung on my neck and the Lord has sapped my strength. He has given me into the hands of those I cannot withstand. And so the picture here is, is not of a God who is, who is whipping Israel. It's the picture of, of evil sown and evil reaped. We know God's and, and Jesus' heart for, for Jerusalem, the, the pain of this broken relationship. And so God lets the Babylonians sweep in and invade Jerusalem. Ash Wednesday is uh, this coming Wednesday. Where we're invited to sort of come up close and, and be real about our mortality and about uh, our sinfulness. And uh, when, when our world crumbles around us, uh, there's a danger of, um, uh, of, of the, the madness of, of being like King Lear, of, of thinking about ourselves as being more sinned against uh, than sinning. And, and no one in Lamentations is under any illusions about who's to blame. The poet says in chapter two, verse 14, the visions of your prophets were false and worthless. They did not expose your sin to ward off your captivity. The prophecies they gave you were false and misleading. And so in this specific incident, this specific time in the Bible, Jeremiah, he, he condemns the false prophets who constantly reassured people that all was well. God says uh, through the, the prophet Jeremiah in, in so many different places in the Bible over and over again, uh, prophets, prophets and priests alike all practice deceit. They dress the wound of my people 
as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. Do you hear how, how heartbroken God is? His, his sadness, his, his anguish, his, his anger. And the very people that were supposed to represent him, you know, the priests and the prophets, they're not giving people the healing medicine that they need and the balm they need. That, 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 that balm, that healing power of repentance. And of course, religious leaders today would never do that. Church leaders would never say, peace, peace, where there is no peace. They would never treat people as though their wounds were not serious. They would never turn a blind eye to sin and say, there, there, poor you. You know, not going with repentance, saying it's fine to go with the culture. It's the same today. That for each and every one of us, sin is the problem. And turning back to God is the solution. As, as I said before, just because you're suffering doesn't mean that it's because of sin. And Jesus makes that very, very clear. It's very rare that our suffering is a result of sin. But it, it can be. And, and we will know if, if, if we are uh, persistently, repeatedly rebelling against God. We'll know that in our hearts already. But, but for all of us, even, even if our life right now is dandy, the, the biggest problem that we face is our own sin. And so where are we and what are we left with at this point in the book of Lamentations? Well, firstly, we see that God is silent, but he's not absent. God, God is silent, but he's not absent. Now, God doesn't, he doesn't interrupt all the lamenting with, with sympathy or with explanations. You know, the, the prophet Jeremiah, the prophets have done a lot of explaining and a lot of warning already. And so God is listening. He's listening silently. God is weeping with Lady Zion. Secondly, God is, is, is righteous. God is righteous, but that means hope. You know, God will always do what is right. He is faithful to his covenant promises. You know, he, he's faithful in rescuing us, but he's also faithful in being a righteous judge. And yes, all this suffering will come to an end, but we're nowhere near there yet. And uh, this, this is good news, though, is that when we return to him, we know that God, he is righteous and that he is just. And thirdly, God himself has suffered even more. I said before about the, the extent of, of all the different types of pain that we see here being unmatched in the Bible. Well, it is actually matched. It's matched and surpassed in the person of Jesus Christ. Because 600 years later, God himself also bore the judgment of God at the hand of violent enemies. And we see this son of God who, who echoes the words of Lady Zion, but he enters into a, into a far worse abyss of abandonment where God is again mute. And Chris Wright, the theologian Chris Wright says, on that occasion, the silence of God 
spoke the redemption of creation. Isaiah 53 tells us that Jesus is the man of sorrows, overcome with grief, that he took up our pain, he took on our pain, and he bore our suffering, not for his sin, as he was sinless, but he took that on for our sin. And Chris Wright also says, Jesus not only wept like Lady Zion over Jerusalem, like her, he also suffered desertion by his friends, mockery from his enemies, and apathy from passers-by. Like her, he was stripped naked, publicly exposed and humiliated, with none to comfort. Like her, he suffered all this at the hands of an implacable foreign enemy, wielding idolatrous imperial power through blood and brutality. Now, when we, when we speak about the wrath of God, so often people don't like it. You know, they say, you know, where's the humanity? And we, we appeal to God's humanity. But God himself has become human. He doesn't ignore our sin. He doesn't pretend it's not there. He, he takes it on. He, he steps into the full reality of our lived experience. And then he, he dies a death to pay the price because he's a just God and he's a good God and he's a loving God. You know, God doesn't just tilt his head on a 45 degree angle and say, there, there, poor you. He actually comes in to fix the situation. But before we get to the cross, we have to sit with this. We have to, to sit with the pain and the agony of lamentations. Prophets have never been welcomed in their hometown. And uh, when I think of Coldplay, and, and people are often quite rude about Chris Martin and about his, his voice, but sometimes I wonder if he's kind of something a little bit like a prophet. Is the very hymnal song, uh, Swallowed in the Sea, begins with these words. You cut me down a tree and brought it back to me. And that's what made me see where I was going wrong. When we see the, the wrath of God in Lamentations, when we see the totality of the wrath of God poured out on the tree, on the cross, we see just how seriously God takes sin. And just like uh, this song, Swallowed, swallowed in the sea, four times in these first two chapters of Lamentations, we see the word swallowed. That God has, has swallowed Israel up when instead he wanted to be with her. Jeremiah also writes, your wound is as deep as the sea. Who can heal you? Who can heal you? Only a healer who takes on those wounds himself. I wonder if maybe, just, just maybe, Chris Martin was, was reading Lamentations when he wrote in the same song, you belong with me, not swallowed in the sea. The, the sin, the wrath, the divorce, the broken relationship of Lamentations shows us that God isn't helpless amidst the ruins of our lives. 
You know, at this point in Lamentations, we're not there yet. But he is a God who suffers with us. He is a God who suffers for us, who loves us, and holds out the offer patiently, all too patiently, for our redemption and our returning to him. Amen. Amen.